Hey everyone, and welcome to Gen Zero, a Pokemon movie podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Doug. Well, let's get right into it. What what did we watch this week, Doug? Uh, we watched, was it movie six now? Yep, this is the sixth movie. Gotta Dance and Jirachi the Wishmaker. Yep. So let's just jump right into the, the short for this week. This was Gotta Dance, like you said. It was a, a dancing-themed short, but it starts off Gen 3 proper. It does. And we get we get to see Mudkip, we get to see Torchic, and we get to see Trico along with Pikachu and Lotoad. They're all just hanging out in a tree for some reason. Once again, no, no none of the you know main trainers. Yeah. But we, then we get a, a voiceover by Meowth, and he's talking about how music ruined his life. After that, the Pokemon fall out of the tree and go flying. And Lotoad catches them. Well, no, he attempts to catch yeah, them. Yeah, Lotoad tries to catch them all, and they all fall onto the ground instead. I think he needs glasses. But then we get to see a shot of Team Rocket, along with Meowth, in their secret base, which is a Gen 3 specific thing. Uh, players can have secret bases and decorate them however they want. Team Rocket decided to decorate them in honor of. Giovanni, because apparently they're going to show him this secret base that they have, and he's going to be so impressed. I think it was really cool that they actually, you know, kind of incorporated that into something. Yeah, it was a nice little nod to the games. And, I mean, we didn't see Jesse and James's face, but how they present them is very much how Ash, Misty, and Brock were originally presented in the original shorts. Right, without their eyes. You can see everything from the nose down. Yeah. And the way they do this is really creepy in this one because the only time this actually really happens is Jessie kind of leans in to talk to Meowth and you just see the bottom half of her face. And she's really close up to him. It, it was really weird for me. Meowth is in charge of the entertainment for Giovanni's party. And what's, what's the entertainment, Doug? His big entertainment plan is three Wismer with maracas. Yeah. That's his idea of it. Well, I mean, that would be pretty entertaining, I think, for me. But I don't think Giovanni would probably find it as entertaining. And we don't have Coughing and Wheezing anymore. No, no, they've already been released. Yep, uh, we got Viper and Cacnea now, instead of Coughing and We still have Wobbuffet. Yes, Wobbuffet's still here. But that replaced Victory Bell, so... More or less. Now we get our first look at stupid Poke Tech in this in this episode and it is a pokemon dancing baton and this baton doesn't dance it forces pokemon to dance somehow it's like the story of the red shoes but an area effect of it yeah there's a button on top that opens what looks like a pokeball and when that opens it plays music and forces pokemon to dance and it also has a couple of buttons and knobs on the bottom that can change the tempo of the music. Kind of looks like a bop it, in a way. It really did. And then here we get the opening credits while the, the music plays. During the opening credits, we see a recap of each Pikachu short that accompanied a movie so far. Because this, I think, is like technically the 14th Pikachu short or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, it's definitely not the no, not the sixth. sixth. Yeah. 
but the in the recap it only shows the ones from the movies, which is pretty cool. And then Meowth is daydreaming about how Giovanni is going to love this show he puts on and how Giovanni is going to kick out his Persian so Meowth can be his number number one. And as you mentioned, this is the only yeah. time we actually get to see a human's face. Yeah, it's Giovanni. It's strange because, well, I'm guessing it's because he's not a real person. He's an imaginary version exactly. of Giovanni. Right. But when Meowth pictures him, he doesn't picture, you know, nose down right. like everyone else has been seeing. You know, we get the full Giovanni. After Meowth's little daydream, we get to see Pikachu, Trico, Loto, Torchic, and Mudkip. Uh, they all find a, basically a basement-style window. Yeah, basement into, window, but it's like four Yeah, four it's all floors up. Exactly. Into Meowth's secret base. And they get to see Meowth blocking, or yeah, Meowth blocking the wing, Wismer away. After we see this, it, the camera kind of pans down to show a Loudrid sleeping. It's just an evolved form of the Wismer, but it's just chilling out there. But he does play a, a part later. And then Lotoad accidentally knocks everyone inside. And I was thinking about this. Lotoad kind of is like the Psyduck slash Togepi of this. I have that written down too. Yeah. So he essentially replaced all the bumbling that normally would accompany Psyduck. Yeah. It was specifically this scene that made me think of Psyduck. And yeah. then later on he kind of reminds me of Togepi too where he follows people around. But he's more lovable for some reason. What, than Psyduck? Yeah, inside of, maybe because he doesn't look like a jerk. <laughs> I don't know. But after they all get knocked inside, Pikachu sees the Wismer all locked up, and they decide to break them out. <laughs> and there's no lock on this thing; it's just no. a latch. But yeah. all you have to do is flip it up to unlock it. Yeah. So what do they do instead of doing that? Well, instead of just you know walking over and flipping this little lever on the front of the cage up to open up. They decide to start attacking it, which causes it to explode yeah. for some apparent reason. This explosion caused Meowth to, well, come back down. And Meowth, Viper, and Cacnea, and Wobbuffet, they kind of fumble down the stairs and Meowth drops his baton, which causes the first set of Pokemon dance parties. Oh, I'm sorry, the baton lands on Trico, by the way. Yes. Because he's holding it during this dance. Yeah, that causes everyone to dance, including Pikachu, Lotoad, and everyone else. Except for Trico. Trico is resisting it. He, he's holding out his willpower. When you say everyone dances, you really mean everyone. Yes, because including Pokemon that aren't there yet. Yes. Uh, bursting in from the wall from outside uh, comes Exploud, Sam? Loudred. Loudred. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going the wrong yeah, way. Loudred bursts through the wall, just... Right through the wall. Yep. To join them for their dance. And who else comes through that wall? Something that's never explained? Yes. Uh, a Ludicolo shows up. Yep. The final evolution stage of Low Toad is just there for the dances. Like, there are several dance numbers in this, and Ludicolo is not seen before or after the dancing happens at all. There's no explanation of where yep. he came from or... Or, you know, I, well, we know why he's there. Yeah, he's just there to party. Yeah, after a little bit of dancing, Trico falls and the baton stops. It closes the baton again. And the base gets th starts to break apart. 
and this is where we get the first of many chase scenes. It, it goes basically it goes dance number chase scene, dance number chase scene, dance number chase scene through through this entire short. After this chase scene, uh, Pikachu and the good quote unquote Pokemon end up on top <laughs> of this tower that's on the base. Meowth sees him and he's about to attack and Mudkip falls. So Trico uses the baton to save Mudkip and Mudkip accidentally pushes the button. And then cue dance number. Yes, which causes more destruction to the secret base. And during this part, the baton flips, lands on its bottom, and it speeds up. Oh no, I'm sorry, it speeds no. down, and everyone starts waltzing, basically. And the patio falls off the secret base at this point. There's a big old outdoor patio with, with that freaking tower on it. Yeah, it's Jesse and James' design, yeah. what, do you, what do you want? Remember, waltzing is dangerous, it destroys patios. Yes. Or decks. And that's when they go inside for another chase scene. And this was very Tom and Jerry-esque, where they're chasing each other through, like, the food and these tables that are all nicely decorated. They're just causing random destruction. Yes. As Meowth and the others fumble, trying to catch, yeah. you know, as you said, the quote-unquote good Pokemon. Right. That also, that kind of reminded me of someone's theory as to why Meowth was always after Pikachu, specifically. Hmm. Because he's a cat type, and uh, Pikachu's <laughs> a mouse type. I never thought of it like that. Neither did I until I read it online. I thought that was a pretty good explanation for that. This is where Cacnea comes in. And it wrecks the place. It sh it starts shooting its pins everywhere. Just putting holes in everything. And then Meowth this time hits the baton to cause the dance number. And it, it, it changes tone again. This time it's a Hawaiian theme. We are told this is a Hawaiian theme because... Ludicolo shows up with a friggin' surfboard, and um, Loudred has a lay around his head, neck kind of thing. After it gets resolved this time, they start running on the scaffolding where the rest of the base is being built. There's also a, a windmill up there on top next to the scaffolding that they're all running around. And this time, the baton lands on Wabafet. We get to see Trico start to loosen up, or his will starts to break, because he starts tapping his feet. And after it lands on Wobbuffet, it falls in the sand and starts to break. So we get to see super speed. It starts speeding up super fast, like double time. Essentially goes through all the different modes it can go through. Exactly, like as each little knob is breaking off. And of course it pans back to the Pokemon, how they react to each yeah. you know, tempo quickly changing. And wrecking up the place. And when it finally stops, for whatever reason, Loudred's pissed. And he grabs a freaking iron pipe, or a lead <laughs> pipe, and starts wrecking up the place with it. Tears down a wall. He tears out support beams. He's out for blood for yes. whatever reason. This completely wrecks the base. And the only way Pikachu and his little group survive is by floating on this... I don't know how to describe it. It's just a, a part of the floor starts floating it's very, through the air. It's very Indiana Jones raft kind of thing. Yeah. Where it's they're hovering, but it, they shouldn't be hovering. No, absolutely not. But there is a little bit of danger because they, as they float, they start floating directly towards a cliff face. But Lotoad saves the day with a water gun. 
and slows them down enough so that they don't slam right into it. And then Meowth kind of sums it up. He, he does his voiceover again. He goes, oh, that's how music ruined my life. And then we get a little scene of Pikachu and the gang waving goodbye to Wismer. Like you have to do with all these shorts. You have to have that goodbye. waving goodbye shot. And that's that. So we'll get right into the movie. So this one starts off with a whole new intro with a whole new narrator. And basically giving kind of the same spiel though about you know, Pokemon world. This is the Pokemon world and some Pokemon are very rare and only a few people have seen them and it shows Mewtwo and Lugia. Yeah, it shows like a montage of the legendaries from previous movies. Yeah, all the way up to the fifth one, Latios and Latias. Um, and then it gets kind of further into Gen 3. It shows Brendan fighting some other trainer. I didn't actually see yeah, I don't think, I think it was a generic trainer. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of explains Team Magma, which is pretty deep for Gen 3. Oh, to be fair, Team Magma plays an important role in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it tells about how Team Magma once growled on. Then it shows two people breaking off rocks for whatever reason. Well, that will get explained to later. Groudon's in the earth, so you well, have to dig to him. Yes, exactly. But then we get to see the two new additions to this series now. We get to see May who replaces Misty, and Max, the Tracy surrogate. <laughs> You're only saying that because Tracy's terrible and Max is terrible. Exactly. But Brock is still there with Ash, so at least we have some solace. It took two new sidekicks to replace Misty. Yeah. And then we get a shot of a man holding a rock. Very happy about that rock. And then we get the title card, which is Jirachi the Wishmaker. Our first shot of Ash and company is them looking for what's called the Millennium Comet Festival. Um, it's a festival about the Millennium Comet. Shows up once every thousand years. Yep, for seven nights. I don't know how that works. Because I'm pretty sure comets don't stick around for longer than a day. It's a very slow comet for some... I yeah, I, I can only imagine it maybe gets stuck in the orbit for seven days and then finally breaks free. Yeah, it's it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, but then again, Pokemon World. Yeah, it's Pokemon Logic. That's by far the least offensive part of Pokemon Logic in this. One of these days, Deoxys is just gonna destroy that comet. Yeah, that was the other theory I had. That that was Deoxys. Oh, that's actually pretty interesting because he's in the next movie. <laughs> so, yeah. and when we see what happens, kind of to the comet in this movie, kind of would be cool. But, so they're headed to the festival, and they get to the edge of the cliff where they're supposed to see the clearing where the festival is taking place, and it's not there. So while they're arguing about how, if maybe they missed it, or if they picked the wrong year or whatnot, the carnival trucks start to show up, and... They set up pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they, they set up pretty quick, you're right, um... Do you think this was just a general carnival that got converted for the Millennium Festival, or was it? do you think they set it up specifically for the festival? I would think that they were generic festivals, but they were kind of like a big collaboration. Like They okay. had extra people come in with different new equipment. Right. Cause you, and such. It's a 
once in a thousand years kind of thing, yeah. so you kind of want to make it big. Yeah, exactly. I'm honestly surprised it wasn't bigger, really. I oh, saw the full valley. Yeah. And we get a little, a couple shots of setting up. We get to see them filling up a uh, inflatable whale balloon, or whale lord balloon, I'm sorry. And we get to see what the the, the roller coaster rides getting set up yeah. and she train tracks. Their own roller coaster. That's pretty impressive for yeah. you know, a carnival. Yeah. And it was an actual roller coaster. It was yeah. one of those like fucking lazy dragons. <laughs> I uh, like those. They were pretty cool. Uh, and then we get to see close to the stupidest thing in Pokemon technology throughout the series. And we say that a lot. I mean, we said that for the Latios and Latias movie. But it's, it's pretty offensive this time. All so, right. we'll start from the beginning. We get to see an obvious magician. White suit. He has short purple hair. Kind of actually similar to James, but... Yeah, a little bit. He's got the ruffled collar. He's got a wand. He's got a box with magic balloons in it. So he taps on this box, and one balloon, one giant balloon comes out that's bigger than the box itself, we should mention. Yeah, it's a balloon. They inflate. Okay. Right. And then another one comes out. It's not so bad right now. You know, it's, yeah. it's magic. Then a third, I think it's up to six. Six or seven of these balloons show up. And as they're kind of wafting out of this box, his assistant kind of hits them with her fans to get them into place. And they all end up becoming a ring, a circle. And then they all pop. And inside these balloons are giant wooden crates. Mind you, these crates are already bigger than the boxes eat by yeah. itself. Yes. So they're bigger than the box. They're almost they're almost the exact same size as the balloons, only square instead of brown. And after these crates land on the ground, they start dropping wooden planks. Like, the, the crates aren't crates in the stereotypical sense where it's a box that contains something else. They're basically four metal rods holding up a stack of wood. And then these wood stacks drop. And they spread out into a circle. Right, they, they spread out into a ring, and then they further coalesce into the ring with wood. So now you have a complete wooden platform. Right. And then steel beams shoot out of the sides of this wood and create a, a framing for a tent. And then the steel beams shoot out this fabric that kind of inflates. It yeah, they, looks puffy. It looks like, looks like balloons. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, exactly. And then a, a little top comes up over the top there. This entire... Yeah, it, it's pretty dumb. I... I don't even know what to say. It's magic. I, I really don't know. As, where to as go far with as that. Pokemon tech goes, like I, a lot of it I can kind of brush off eventually and just you know, it. Yeah. Pokemon logic. Okay. This this is just dumb. It's it's poorly designed. But any, anyway. But after we get that little scene, by this time the entire carnival is all set up and ready to go, and we we get to see Ash. Rock and May and Max on in bumper cars bumping around. Oh, I want to I wanted to mention something because the first time I thought about this, uh, well, the first time we watched this movie, I was thinking about how all of the the bumper cars, the the rides, all that stuff is based is very Pokemon themed. Yeah, 
like each each bumper car is a different Pokemon. You got the Wailord, uh, Blimp, all that stuff. I thought that it, it felt kind of weird to me. Like it's it's very Pokemon themed. Everything has something to do with Pokemon in this world. But then I was thinking about how much in our real world we base things off animals. Yeah. Like Mustang cars and all that stuff. That would be a Rabidash car or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I always thought that was a cool correlation between our world using animals and their world using Pokemon because they don't have... All their horses are on fire. <laughs> it's a sad world they live in. All their horses are rabbit ashes. They need to make more horse Pokemon that aren't on fire. They have deer, they have and giraffes. They have Zebra. Yeah, they have zebras. They don't have any more actual horses. All their horses are on fire. Um, anyway. Yeah. After we get the bumper card stuff and some more rides, Ash and the crew are all at the magic show. And we get to see the great butler. Mind you, that is his name. Yes. It's not his profession. Yeah, he's not a great butler. He doesn't clean up very well. He is the great butler. His name is Butler. His parents hated him. Yeah, or had very different job goals in mind for him. I mean, who wants their kid to grow up to be a magician? But <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm being a real meow. <laughs> but the great butler has two Pokemon that he's showing off currently his Curlia and his Mightyena and this is where I have a problem because he calls the Mightyena Mightyena and I don't like that because it's a cross between Mighty and Hyena so it'd be Mightyena not Mightyena because it's not a yeah, Mighty yeah. to be fair that, that's how I always, I've always pronounced it then you fucking <laughs> pronounced it wrong it's like people pronounce uh, Ger Gyarados Gyarados. Oh, that's like pronouncing Gif Gif. It's just not right. Then we see the the rock or crystal, I guess. It's kind of more crystalline than rock. And it's still... It's, it's a hunk of earth uh, in the middle of the stage. And at, uh, not Ash, Max starts hearing voice a voice in his head. The voice says... Which the star, and it kind of throws Max off, and the show's about wrapping up, and Butler's kind of giving his thank you for coming. Your applause is the real magic to me, or something like that. And then Max rushes the stage. I've, I got nothing. I mean, I understand little kids are impulsive and stupid, but. If that the fact that no one caught him is my real problem, and his his excuse for running on stage is I thought I heard a voice, and they don't immediately kick him off. Ash runs after him, which is responsible. You yeah. know, you could, I I would more expect May, seeing how May's his sister, or Brock, seeing how he's the older one going after him, but no, Ash, you gotta be the impulsive one, gotta get on stage and get the limelight. Of course, he's, he's the main character. Yeah. Uh, he runs on stage to get uh, Max, but Butler has other plans. So, oh, it's great that you're here. We needed volunteers for this magic trick we call the Burning Box. Where, Butler's Burning Box. Yeah, Butler. Oh, Butler's Burning Box, where in where they put Ash and Max inside this box, 
and then his Dusclops, which he has come out, is going to use Hyper Beam on it in 10 seconds. It's not very burning. No, more... That's a dragon. No, that's a normal type move, isn't it? Yeah. So, not very burning at all. More blasting. A blasting clock. There you go. But, of course, it's a magic trick, so there's got to be some kind of trick. There's a trap door under the box on the stage that travels from the stage under the seating area and up to the top of the stairs where the seating starts. And after after Max and Ash get transported to the top of the stairs, they run back on stage to receive their applause. As opposed to taking the hint and going back to, yeah. you know, their seats. Exactly. And you know what? Ash gets his comeuppance for running up on stage because at this point, Team Rocket steals Pikachu. And that lasts all of three seconds. Because Butler decides to attack... Oh, I should mention that after Team Rocket steals the Pikachu, they get on a blimp and start flying away of on course, this that, blimp. That, that's what the Team Rocket does. Well, it's not a Meowth blimp. It's just a blimp-ass blimp. It's a dirigible. But anyway, uh, Butler decides to stop them using a move I've never heard before. <laughs> oh. Kavitata. Yeah. Kavitata. He says something along those lines, but we actually had to go back several times to try to understand, seeing if it was like an actual move or something. Yeah. But he's definitely just saying Kavitata. Kavitata? Kavitata? Maybe it's... Well, you know what? Since there are Pokemon called Abracadabra and Alakazam, maybe that's the magic words he has to use. Because you can't use Abracadabra because that's two fucking Pokemon. So, maybe Kavetata is the Pokemon. Is his, ma his magic word? Or maybe it's just something really offensive in another language. But the attack that Dusclops actually uses is just Will-O-Wisp, which is a fire-type move that just burns. And it ends up burning the blimp up. And then Pikachu uses Thundershot. Yeah, Pikachu gets out and uses yep. Thundershot on them. And they go blasting off again. As they do. Yeah. But Max, after getting on stage, he still is obsessed with this crystal rock thing. And Butler explains that, in, uh, supposedly, according to the legend, Jirachi, a Pokemon named Jirachi, is inside. And it awakens every 1,000 years, and it needs two things to awaken. It needs the Millennium Comet to be visible, and it needs a friend. How convenient. We have the Millennium Comet available starting yes. tonight. And apparently Max is a friend of Rock's. So, win-win. And also, according to legend, Jirachi can grant wishes. Which makes sense for the title of the movie. If I have a friend that wakes up once every thousand years, he better grant wishes. <laughs> Seriously. So, essentially, Butler and Diane. Mind you, Diane is his assistant. assistant. Right. Uh, they kind of just give, you know, this crystallized Pokemon to Max. Yes. And, you know, essentially tell him to hold on to it for now. Yeah, because he's he's obviously made friends with it, so... And he immediately starts, like, babying a rock. Yes, he is very upset with this rock. I did like the little uh, subtle uh, animation while they're walking. You can kind of see the rock slipping and Max kind of adjusting to keep it in his grasp, which I thought was nice. And also while they're walking, May happens upon a 
what kind of looks like a Native American vendor booth with a bunch of Native American style tchotchkes, like wolf posters and stuff like that. But the one thing she takes significant interest is in is what's called a wishing star. And it's kind of like a dream catcher, except it's got these seven little flaps along the outside. And the, the story here is each night you make a wish and you close one of the flaps uh, for each night that you see the Millennium Comet specifically, each of the seven nights. And after the seventh night, after the seventh night, once you make your wish, it'll come true. But you have to make every, every night you have to make the wish for it to come true. Honestly, it's really neat. Yeah, I would like to have one. I would like to add that and uh, Melody's Ocarina to a collection, to my collection. I think those two things would be really cool to actually have physical copies of. And the next thing we see is Ash and everyone sitting out on the hillside waiting for the comet. But it's a little cloudy out, so we might not get to see it the first night. But, of course, the clouds part and the comet is fully visible. And May makes her first wish. And... Max then falls asleep. Eight-year-old kid. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's pretty late. And May sings her song for the first time. And by sing, you mean kind of hum? Yeah, hum isn't the precise term. She goes, do, 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 do. Now, this this song comes up multiple times throughout this movie. Yeah, it's a very important part. As far as we you know, for most of the movie, well, for all of the movie until yeah. the very end. There are no lyrics to this song except for do. Yeah. And it comes up a, a couple times uh, in the future. Uh, but while May singing the song, basically, the crystal starts to glow and everyone starts to hear Jirachi talking. And uh, it pan the camera pans out and we see Absol, uh, it, the Pokemon Absol, watching this too. And then Jirachi hatches, so to speak. I thought a cool thing about the Jirachi when it hatches, it it has its wings or whatever, its scarf wrapped around it, kind of like a squaddled kid. Yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty cool because it's it's basically an infant. It's with a giant head. It's got the kind of mentality of, yeah. a, of a child, even younger than Max, I would say. Yeah, it, it's very into mimicry. Yes, like Togepi. And repeating what he hears. Yeah. And then Max introduces himself and everyone introduces themselves to Jirachi. And Jirachi's really happy to meet everybody. It's been a thousand years since he's been out of the cocoon, as it were. And he's really happy to see everyone. And then Diane shows up, because just to check on people, I guess. Oh, there's a bright light. Yeah. And May explains to Diane that Jirachi has hatched, and Diane's really super excited and goes to tell Butler. And his initial response is to throw his arms in the air and yell, I knew it! In the most dramatic fashion I've ever seen in a Pokemon movie, and that's saying something. And 
he continues to pontificate a little bit about how he's foreseen this entire thing happening and how great it's going to be that he he can finally use Jirachi for his own ends and then weird machines come out of the floor that aren't explained just yet and he's just doing this all to Diane like he, yeah. he's really bombastic about it you can you can pretty much assume that Diane already knew everything that he's telling her right. and it's just showing her yeah. So there's really no reason for him to be doing it. I can only imagine that. It's the fact that it's still on stage, and he just kind of adapt, naturally adapts that persona when he's on stage. Then it cuts to Ash and everyone inside of Diane and Butler's... Bus. Bus. Their, their touring bus. They were invited to sleep there for the night after yes. Jirachi hatched. Yeah. They're talking about how Jirachi can make wishes. So Max wants to try it out, obviously, and he asks for candy, which Jirachi provides. A lot. A lot of. In fact, that it fills the entire bus with with snacks. I think it was mistranslated. I think it was supposed to be snacks, yes. because the first thing he manifests is chips, which I would never call chips candy, ever. But it turns out that Jirachi can't just make stuff appear. Yet it has to come from somewhere. So he steals all of the snacks from the vendors at the fair. Via teleportation, I believe yes, it was. Yes, exactly. Um, I think Butler explains that it's teleportation later. And after this, everyone's like, oh, Jirachi can actually grant wishes. So I want him to wish this. I want him to wish that. And everyone starts fighting over Jirachi. Yes. And then uh, Butler does explain that Jirachi uses... So, uh, grants wish by the use of teleportation and may then realizes that these are all stolen candies and she yell starts yelling at Jirachi and she yells at him get rid of the problem and Jirachi obliges <laughs> by teleporting her away <laughs> <laughs> only a few feet away but and upside down and upside down inside the candy so uh, it was a pretty good joke I thought and then we see, you know, Jirachi's main weakness. As, oh, yeah. You know, he gets, he, he gets sleepy and then immediately passes out. Yes, he goes, oh, I'm so tired, conk. So, Jirachi sleeps the night through, and so does everybody else. And the next day, Brock and Ash have been hired as performing clowns to go along with uh, Butler and Diane in their stage show. Uh, I guess May is kind of a like a stagehand. She kind of does all the background stuff. I, I guess, it, yeah, she was kind of working in the background, I yeah. guess. Um, and but Max and Jirachi go out and play. Yeah, they go on all the rides. They have fun. They go on the, the Wingle salt and pepper machine. They go on the Ferris wheel. They go on the roller coaster. They go on the roller coaster. And all of these things are completely ineffectual to a Pokemon that can fly, like Jirachi, but... So thought that counts, I guess. And during this whole thing, Team Rocket are spying on them. They probably have the best hiding spot they've ever had. That's true for this fair. Uh, they're currently hiding in their Meowth balloon, which yeah. normally is a very, you know... Obvious, standout thing. But the thing is, they're in a big cluster of other balloons, which are all Pokemon-themed yeah. balloons. Like I mentioned the Wailoid balloons before, yeah. So yeah, it's probably the most discreet they've been. 
after that, like we were talking about how May is a stagehand out in the back. Uh, she's moving a basically a steel scaffolding and it starts falling over. So she stops it and then Max stops it. But Jirachi still wants to play, even though Max is trying to save his sister from be getting crushed by this steel thing. But Jirachi steals his glass, Max's glasses and starts running away with them. And Max obviously chases. During the chase scene, Absol bursts in and starts attacking. May sends out a Torchic and Ash sends out his Pikachu to fight Absol. And Jirachi apparently does not approve of fighting of this Absol. He's, he's kind of cool with this Absol. So he teleports Torchic and Pikachu on top of the uh, circus tent. Yeah. And he does say, oh, this Absol is coming for me. Yeah, he, he knows that the Absol is there for him. Yeah. And then the Absol tries to charge Brock and Ash, but Butler is one step ahead and has a trap door, obviously installed in his stage, that has a cage in it. So the Absol falls into the trap door, slamming, basically slamming its head against the other side of the yeah, wall. It was very painful. Like he hit, he, he didn't like just seamlessly drop into the hole. He hit the side. Yeah. Um, and then the cage rises out of the hole, and he uses his Kirlia to uh, hypnotize and put the Absol to sleep. And speaking of sleep, Jirachi falls asleep at this point. Of course. He used his power, so he yep. has to go to bed now. Exactly. Um, and that night, May does her dream catcher thing. She puts, the, she makes a wish and puts the second, second night of the wishing star closed and during this she sees butler acting all shady and she follows him and sees that he has jirachi and he puts jirachi on his weird little machine thing butler explains that jirachi will open his true eye and absorb the power of the the millennium comet and jirachi's true eye is on its stomach it's got a third eye a literal third eye on its it's, on it's, its kind stomach. of creepy in that sense like very creepy when it opens yeah also mind you he's not explaining this to may no he's he's, he's, he's actually telling this to jirachi basically he's saying open your third or your true eye and absorb the comet's power yeah may's just eavesdropping at this point and then we get a flashback of why butler's doing this because he was a member of Team Magma, like we mentioned earlier in the show. And their whole thing is they want Groudon. They want this legendary Earth Pokemon. Apparently, Butler had found a piece of a Groudon fossil. Not a, I guess not enough to get DNA, enough DNA out of to clone like they do with your Aerodactyls or your Helix fossils. But that's not going to stop Butler. He made this machine that can do it. At least so he thought. And he shows this off to the Team Magma executives, and it fails. It doesn't work. And they laugh him out of the team. They literally yeah, they, just tell him to get the fuck out. Well, they don't literally tell him that, but they say, no, you're not a team, yeah. a part of Team Magma anymore. Go away. And this is where it all falls apart for Butler. He kind of loses it at this point. He wants to use Jirachi 
to make a Groudon to get revenge on Team Magma, basically. But Jirachi doesn't want any part of this. It says, no, I'm not going to help you. So he, Butler has Dusclops use Psychic to force Jirachi to open its true eye. And it works. His Jirachi's true eye shoots a beam out of, out of the eye iris, hits the Millennium Comet, and then the Millennium Comet replies with a beam of, I guess, pure energy. And then there's an explosion. Yeah, the machine gets blown apart, pretty much. And Ash and everyone show up, and Diane tries to stop Butler from continuing this stuff, but Butler has no intentions of stopping. So Max picks up Jirachi and starts to run away, and Pikachu distracts Dusclops for a little bit. Jirachi once mentions that he wants to go back to Farina, which is apparently where they found the rock that Jirachi was hiding in. After Pikachu fights Dusclops, Absol joins the fight and distracts Butler while Ash, Diane, and the rest of them kind of run off, get inside the bus, and start heading towards Farina. Uh, we get another shot of Team Rocket watching, but they do, again, doing nothing. And so Butler sends out his Mightyena to place a tracking device on the bus. And I think this was one of the stupidest things in this movie, honestly. Really? The tracking device, A, it falls off, like, the next day. B, he knows where they're going. Obviously, they're going to go back to Farina. So, it makes no sense to even need to track them. And C, he shows up later. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I suppose it's true. Even without the tracking device, he still ends up... Knowing where they're going. Yeah, so, you know what? Yeah. That scene is dumb. I mean, I can understand why he did it. Right. But he already knew what was going on. Exactly. And while they're on their way to Farina, it, it takes like three days to get there. So they have a lot of time to talk. Diane explains Butler's backstory about Magma. And about she also explains that he needs the power of the comet to create Groudon to get revenge on Magma and all that stuff. And then Night 3 rolls around. May makes her wish, and then she sees Diane's kind of sad and upset, and she's looking at the flyer for the magical show that Butler was putting on with her. And Diane explains that she and Butler were childhood friends, and they've been a magic duo ever since they were little kids. And she gave him the name, The Great Butler. And then we get montage music. Yeah. It, it, it's very montage themed. It, it definitely feels like Rocky's going to run up a series of steps in Philadelphia at some point. And it's only for like two scenes. Uh, we get the the scene where the bus is stuck in the mud and Ash, Brock, May, and Max are all pushing it out, which I have a very important question for that. Why didn't they use Pokemon to get it out of the mud? I mean, I'm sure Brock had an onyx. I don't know if Brock still has on to this point. I think this was after he had left it behind uh, in Pewter City for his family to continue the gym. Oh, right, that's right. But I'm sure they... Uh, maybe they had mostly starters at this point, I guess, and pre-evolved Pokemon, so maybe they didn't have anything super strong, strong enough. But they should have went and caught something or something. They all get covered <laughs> in mud. So. Ash catch a Pokemon? Yeah, that's, that's 
picture. And the other thing we see is the the fourth night during this montage scene where Maze makes her fourth wish and Ash is showing uh, Max how to skip stones across the river. And then it goes right into the fifth night where May says, oh, there's only two more nights left. And she's referring to her wishing star. She only has two more flaps to close. But Max get all, gets all upset because he knows that Jirachi is going to crystallize again in two nights. And Ash kind of tries to comfort him and says, no, Jirachi will always be with you. There will always be a part of it. In, inside of you and then he, he alludes to Misty he says oh I knew this girl and we had to part ways and she's still with me yeah it's kind of, it's kind of sad that at least he acknowledges that she existed yeah. in this I don't, I don't think he really does like in the series I know there's an episode where she eventually does come back right. for an episode or two but yeah. it, it was a nice little touch yeah just to kind of mention Misty I, I, it's kind of fan servicey, I think, in a way. Like, especially if this is your first Pokemon movie after Misty left. Yeah. You kind of want to, you know, give you a know little nod he, to him. You know who he never mentions again? Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> and for good reason. I would never want a part of Tracy inside me. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Phrasing. Uh, and then they, they finally get to Farina, and it's... A Pokemon paradise, basically. It's this nice kind of rainforesty area. It's got Tropius. It's got Nuzleaf. It's got Flygons. Very diverse wildlife. Yeah. And then we get the sixth knife rolls around. May closes the sixth flap of her wishing star and does her little do 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 song again. Then the next day, we actually get to see a daytime scene. Uh, they're getting closer to the rock or the cave. The cave where they found Jirachi, and Absol leads the way. It does that thing dogs do when they want you to follow it? It looks at you, turns around, and looks at you, and turns around again. Uh, and they get to the cave where Jirachi was napping, and Max gets really upset at this point because he knows what's coming, and he really doesn't want Jirachi to go. And I think this is where Diane explains that Jirachi is basically the cause for this Pokemon paradise because it uses its true eye to absorb the energy of the comet. And over the thousand years it sleeps, the energy that it absorbs gets filtered out through the earth in the area. And after this explanation, Butler attacks. Of course. Yep. He shoots this force field like thing another really stupid pokemon he has technology a floating battle platform yeah that sounds so cool <laughs> wait no it's actually floating that's what it's tethered to walls yes. there's little like grappling hooks that are yep. tethered in walls yep and he catches jirachi in a force field bubble thing not a pokeball obviously couldn't be a pokeball he's a villain after that we get the best line from Team Rocket to date. <laughs> um, yeah, Jirachi shoots the beam from his true eye, and the beam comes back, and Meowth says, Do you see that? Jesse replies with, 
do you think I'm blind? And James comes out with, that would explain the hair. And that's, that's that scene. They cut right back to Butler's machine starting to make Groudon. James is getting sassy. Yes. That was fucking perfectly timed for James, I think. Return to form after last episode where they didn't do anything at all. But like I said, Butler's machine starts to actually make Groudon. It kind of traces out the hieroglyphic. It's very Nazca ruins. Yeah, yeah, the Nazca lines, yeah. It's very Nazca lines-y. And it definitely reminds me of Primal Groudon. Well, yeah, because it, it does the outline, and exactly. that's essentially what Primal is. It's just a glowing outline. Exactly. And Absol shows up to to bust down the force field that Butler had created. And then Flygon flies in to uh, carry Ash and Max up to Jirachi. But Butler's prepared for this. He has a flying Pokemon of his own. A Pokemon that basically feels like it was born to fly. <laughs> Salamence. And they kind of have a, a little battle in the air. And Ash decides to run distraction while Pikachu and Max go rescue Jirachi. Which works. Max and Pikachu land on the, the floating battle platform. <laughs> so dumb. And Pikachu electrocutes the machines that are holding Jirachi in place. And it works. Jirachi comes out and wakes up. But... It was too late, or at least almost too late. We still get a half-formed Groudon, basically. It's very primordial. It's very primordial. Oh, that's a hard word. It's very primordial-esque because it, it it is glowing, like you said. It has that those glowing lines on it, and it has a weird belly. It's got like a real it, jelly it, it, belly. It, it's got like darkness in the yeah. entire front. Yeah, it's very... kind of reminds me of that one Power Ranger villain where it absorbs the rangers and then their face is on its stomach. Oh, the, the toad? Yeah. Man, that was... Anyway. Yeah, that was a horrifying episode. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for our Power Rangers podcast. <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, there are a lot of Power Rangers movies, actually. But since Groudon is created using this energy from the Millennium Comet, instead of giving that energy back to the planet, he leeches more energy away. Like, grass and trees start dying as it passes. And the Groudon does that anyway. Yeah, that's true. Due to its immense heat. Right. But Absol understands that this thing is a abomination and starts attacking it. And then Groudon does something that real Groudon would never do. Sprout tentacles? Exactly. And these things aren't like octopus tentacles or squid tentacles. These things are very like liquid and non-Newtonian. Very gelatinous pseudopody. Right. And they start these tentacles go into the ground and start leaching energy directly from the ground and they start kind of feeling their way out. Uh, one of the first things they do is they latch on to team, all of Team Rocket, Jesse, James, and Meowth, in their balloon, and they pull him into his stomach, and you can kind of see them floating around in the gelatinous cube that is the stomach of this Groudon, this fake Groudon. So many fake legendaries. Yeah, I know. And then it grabs Diane, and grabs May and Brock, and it tries to grab Ash, Max, and Jirachi, 
but Jirachi uses teleport to get him out of there. And as soon as Jirachi uses teleport, Groudon focuses in on Jirachi. He's like, oh, you have a lot of energy. I need you inside me. But as he's shooting a tentacle directly at Jirachi, Butler intervenes with Salamence and blows one of the tentacles away. And he realizes, oh god, this was a bad idea. I made a huge mistake here. So Flygon comes back and picks up Ash, Max, Pikachu, and Jirachi. Jirachi teleports them all away for a little bit. That's when Butler comes up with this brilliant plan to destroy the Groudon by putting Jirachi back in the machine that he used to create the Groudon and reversing the polarity. And Doug, I want to let you know, in sci-fi, if anyone says reverse polarity, that means they don't know what the fuck they're doing and they're just making shit up. I think that if you did that, it would just make a Kyogre. <laughs> don't fucking tease me like that. <laughs> so that that's their, that's their brilliant plot, is to put the machine in reverse. And if you've ever watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off, don't work that way. No, it just doesn't work. No. Well, I mean, it does work, because that's what exactly what they do. Butler almost gets knocked off. Well, Butler does get knocked off his Jirachi next by Groudon. Let's <laughs> get knocked off Jirachi. Yeah, he, sure. He gets knocked off his Jirachi, whatever. No, he... Okay. Butler does get knocked off his Salamence next, but Jirachi decides to save him because Jirachi sees the good in him because he knows, apparently, that Butler loves Diane. Ash and Max try to distract the Groudon while Butler sets up the floating battle platform by which, at this point, has been knocked into the side of a cliff by Groudon. Um, Salamence and Flygon attack. Butler, I think at this point, gets absorbed. Yes. Yeah. So Ash and Max have to fi fix it up. But yeah, Ash turns it all on. Jirachi gets in and starts absorbing the energy. And then Groudon, instead of shooting tentacles at Jirachi and stuff anymore, he just straight belly flops on top of them and absorbs them straight that way. But it doesn't work, because Jirachi uses this, the energy he absorbed to create this big sphere around him, and then grabs Groudon with this sphere, and they both go shooting into the atmosphere. And it explodes, and all the energy that Groudon had collected gets kind of restored, and all the people and Pokemon that were captured kind of just teleport themselves, teleport back to the ground. And then after the explosion, Jirachi kind of floats back to Max and he, he knows it's time to say goodbye, but he has he, he tells Max that even though he's the wish master, or the wish granter, Max granted all his wishes for friends and fun and all that stuff. But he has one wish left. He wants to hear May's song again. Yeah. And so May obviously obliges and then so does Brock and Ash. And they, they all just start, you know, doing it. Yep. Doing, Literally. Doing it. <laughs> do, 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 doing it. It's very melodic, to be fair. I mean, with just May, it sounds really funky and off-key, because I just think the voice actors for May sounds weird doing it. But once they all get into a rhythm, it just sounds I don't know, I think Ash's voice actor sounds kind of weird doing it. Oh, actress. Whoa. But yeah. Yeah, they all sound kind of weird. But yeah, after the song, 
goes on for a little bit. Jirachi goes back to sleep and crystallizes and... He drops through the ground. Yeah, he clips through the ground. <laughs> uh, we get kind of a classic Team Rocket send-off. It's not the last thing in the movie. Uh, we still get a little thing. But yeah, Jesse James and Meowth are kind of on this outcropping. And they're, you know, they're... Oh yeah, they're looking at the energy flowing out and thinking it's a magic... Oh right, this is where Meowth's anti-magician thing comes in. It's probably that magician... He says about the the weird glowing rocks, uh, and then May realizes that she forgot to wish on the seventh night, so that her wish is never going to come true. That's fine, because yeah. you know you have to make your own wishes come true. Exactly. Um, so before we go any further, what do you think May's wish was? To be a fourteen, ten-year-old uh, girl for the rest of her life. Oh, jeez. Well, that's what she's going to get, one way or another. <laughs> Mine always kind of was to bring her dead mom back, because apparently that's why is, her, is her mom actually dead? I'm pretty sure that it's alluded to in this movie that his mom's dead. I forget exactly where it was, because I wasn't paying too much attention. I, I didn't pick that up. I didn't pick that up at all. For, for whatever reason, I just get this, oh, no, 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 she says that the song was a lullaby that her their mom used to sing to her. But that doesn't mean she's dead. It feels like she's dead. But, yeah, that was always my, my feeling towards it, is that she, or maybe she just wants something better for Max, because she always has that kind of big sister. Like it's called the Goblin King. Yeah, yeah. Jareth will come and t- take him away. Remind me of the Max with the power. The power of Jirachi. <laughs> and after this... It hits the credits, and we finally get the big reveal, the actual lyrics to this song. Don't know them, because we just heard them this one time, but the song has actual lyrics, and it plays both in English and in Japanese during the credits, which I thought was pretty nice. And during the song, we get to see all these constellations, real constellations, like the Big Dipper, or some major or some minor, but instead of an actual bear we see the Pokemon uh, interpretation of them, which is cool. We get to see Ursa Ring and Teddy Ursa as the big and little dipper. Um, we also get to see a macho holding a Viper as I'm one like, of the constellations. Yeah, I'm not sure what that was supposed to be. And then a cross-shaped constellation that we both were perfectly certain that it would have been of some kind of bird, but it was Kyogre instead. And that's the end of the movie. That's credits, and that's it. So let's get into our favorites and least favorites. So, Doug, what was your favorite Pokemon in this movie? My favorite Pokemon? Uh, I'm going to have to take from the short for this. Okay. I just like Ludicolo. Ludicolo? Yeah. Just just that randomness of it just being there for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, I, he pops in and then pops right back it, out. It just just it never entertained, just completely entertained me. Yeah. Okay. As dumb as that sounds. I like that one. I like that one. You? Uh, actually, I kind of went to the short for this one, too, and I said Lotus. I really like his bumbly nature, and he, he provides a really good comic relief. And his voice actor, I, I think, w- makes it work really well. Like I said in the uh, Larvitar short, the personification of this Lotoad made me like the Pokemon Lotoad, when before when I was just playing the games, I really never cared for it. So it was a really nice touch. And I also like 
from the movie I liked Absol, just because I, from the games, I like Absol. So it was kind of a, it crosses the other divide there. Uh, so what was the least favorite Pokemon in this one? Honestly, my least favorite Pokemon was Jirachi. I kind of found him, really? I found him rather annoying. Yeah, he, he definitely had that childish. Es- especially when he was doing things like stealing Max's glasses yeah. and just like repeating everything. Yeah. I understand like he and Max are both cho- like actual children children. Right. But they can get annoying. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely got grating for a little bit there. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, Jirachi can be really annoying in that in that scene. I mean, he's cute at times, but yeah, a little bit of Jirachi goes a long way, I think. Even Togepi was better than that. Yeah, well... Togepi was an actual baby. Yeah, at least Togepi didn't speak English. How about you? Uh, mine was Groudon. Fake Groudon. I really? really yeah. A, I don't like Groudon in general. I, I'm a Kyogre man myself, but... Tired of all these fake, po- fake exactly. legendaries? Exactly. I mean, I'm pretty sure my least favorite Pokemon for the, the Entei movie was the fake Entei. And I would have much rather had seen a a real Groudon. Like, I would much rather have seen it fully formed without the, all these tentacles and stuff. Um, so what was your favorite part of this? Oddly enough, my favorite part was the entire thing with fake Groudon. Really? I, I like the fact... It was... They could have just done a regular Groudon, it would have been big right. to me. But this thing was, you know, it was Groudon, but it was alien. Okay. It was, it was not something that they expected. It was completely uncontrolled. Okay. It was dark. It yeah. was absorbing and essentially, you know, destroying people. Okay, that's one way to look at it. And plus the fight scenes with it were really, you know, yeah. pretty cool. Uh, my favorite part was James's joke. <laughs> It's simple, it was punchy, and I had to watch it twice. Because it comes and goes in a freaking instant. It's three lines, it's like two seconds long, and if you blink, you would miss it. And it's one of the best scenes in this movie. So what was your least favorite part? Uh, my least favorite part was, what was it, like day three through through five? Yeah. In the traveling on the bus? Right. It just seemed very time-consuming. Like, yeah, filler. Yeah. It, it, I understand they needed it to fill in the extra plot about Butler's background and that. Yeah. But fill in those there had to be days. some other way to do it. It was just so slow. Yeah, it definitely plotted the movie down a little bit. What are you? Because I can see you smirking over there. My least favorite part? The Groudon scenes. <laughs> um, I, I like, I actually, I appreciate your concept of it being really alien and dark. But I feel like the movie was over before Groundon showed up. Like, it, it, they could have done something completely different. Like, it failed again, and Butler was screwed up. Like, I, I feel like it just added more to the movie that was already felt like it, it was, was dragging. It was an unnecessary addition. Yeah. But the way you looked at it was actually pretty cool. I like I, I like that concept, too. So... From Pokeball to Master Ball, Pokeball being the worst, Master Ball being the best, what do you rate this movie? Uh, I'm going to have to go somewhere in the middle and give it about a great ball. Okay. That's where I went to. It wasn't terrible. Like, it had bad moments, but there were parts that I genuinely enjoyed about this movie. It, it wasn't great, though. It, yeah. it, 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 was, it, was okay, it was better than some of the previous ones we watched. Yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. 
uh, once again, thanks for listening. If you want to hit us up on social media, we got a Twitter out there, uh, Gen Zero Podcast on Twitter. Uh, also, Gen Zero Podcast on Facebook. You can look for us on either of those. We post uh, Pokemon trivia. We post pictures from the movies to kind of give a better explanation of what we're trying to describe because sometimes it's really hard to describe stuff. And you can go to our website, genzeropodcast.wordpress.com, or hit us up on Gmail. You can email us at genzeropodcast at gmail.com. And each of these is G-E-N, the number zero, podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Later.